um, who will share her experience, strength and hope with us for 45 to 50 minutes, followed by raised hand questions and answers. So with that, it's over to you, Denise. Thank you so much, Nicole. Hi, everyone. I'm Denise, alcoholic. Oh, it's so nice to be here. <clears throat> when I heard, um, when I hear that Denise G will share her experience for 45 minutes and you think, oh, Jesus. And then I thought I could talk for hours about recovery, about how grateful I am to be a member, of, not just a member of this fellowship, but to be somebody who lives in this world that we're in clean and sober and that I don't have to, nor do I have any desire to now, 13 years in to have a drink or a drug or indeed most of the time to do anything to change how I feel. Um, even when I'm not feeling too great. And if I'm honest at the moment, I've had a really, um, I'll start by getting current. I've had a really tricky few weeks of, I've had to move house twice my entire life <laughs> from one place to, and, uh, to another twice. And, um, and then I hit the wall a couple of days ago and I was trying to work out why. I was like, what's wrong with me? There's something wrong with me. I'm cranky. I'm not feeling myself. Um, I was doing so well. What's going on? And then my, um, I get a lot of outside help. And my therapist was like, I think you need to accept that you've gone through quite a lot in the past few weeks. And maybe you just need to rest. And so last night and today, I cancelled everything. And I have rested. And I realized I was faced with my own sort of I'm so resilient as so many of us are I I feel like I am I can push through so many different situations really hard situations I have a high high pain threshold and so in my recovery it kind of takes a lot for me to to say actually I need to stop for a bit I'm getting better but it's a big deal for me to um to realize that self-care and resting is not bailing out and it's not um, abandoning my responsibilities or anything. It's recharging my batteries and allowing myself um, to thank myself for getting through what I've just gotten through. It's pretty major. And for anyone who's new, I want to say not at any point through this pretty intense time have I thought of having a drink or a drug. And they used to be the things I needed as my solution um, and they were my solution I drank from the age of 12 and started taking drugs at 13 um, which now I think my god I was a child you know it's so easy in my early days of recovery I would attribute kind of adult decision making to that child and think yeah yeah I was a bad kid I was a difficult kid and I made life really difficult for everybody else and it's only through years of help that I realized no I was a child in pain a lot of pain um I had never really felt like I I come from a very big family um who I love very much but coming from a very big family means um it's quite hard to get your emotional needs met I have done the steps quite a few times and I don't have any hold any resentment towards my family, but I definitely know that, um, yeah, I didn't get what I needed and that's okay now because I can give what I need, I can get what I need from myself now. But, um, but I blamed myself for a long time, thought that there was something wrong with me 
uh, that I needed too much. I was always told I was too much. I was looking for too much attention. I was too emotional. I was too sensitive. All of these things that it turns out they're the reasons why I'm as good at my job as I am and, uh, and why I'm great in recovery because I am super sensitive. Those things are gifts. They're not a curse, but I come from a culture in which, uh, that kind of pull your socks up. Don't be telling everybody your business. Don't like all of that stuff. The things that I was blessed with, the gifts that I was blessed with weren't really seen as gifts. They were seen as things that would hinder me and therefore had to be sort of knocked out of me, I guess. And, um, and so when I found alcohol at 12, uh, it was a relief. Before alcohol came sugar, fantasy, people. I think addiction comes in all different forms. It's just that the one that really took for me was alcohol and drugs. Drugs are a big part of my story. They go totally hand in hand. Um, so when I found them, it wasn't that uh, it wasn't that they made me happy. It was that they meant that they made me not care. I cared so much about what everybody thought of me. And I cared so much about fitting in and not feeling like I fitted in that when I found alcohol and drugs, it was such a relief to just have that sound turned down for a bit. You know, that constant chatter of um, you're getting it wrong. Um, yeah, to have that turned down. So I'm really grateful <laughs> to alcohol and drugs for, I don't know if I'd have survived my teenage years if I didn't have them. Uh, I had taken an overdose twice by the time I was 13 years of age. I had um, secretly done that. And uh, if a child is doing that, a child is really in pain, you know? So actually finding alcohol and drugs meant that I could stay alive, I think. Um, which might be a controversial thing to say because I know it causes a lot of damage, alcohol and drugs. But I always think now that, you know, it's a, a life-threatening illness, alcoholism and addiction, but it's the only life-threatening illness that makes people walk away from you. You know, every other, if I have, if I'm dying of cancer or I'm dying of, um, of something else, people want to take care of you. But because of how addiction manifests itself, the, the self-hatred, the things that I was doing, because I hated myself so much, the things that I was doing meant that what I was putting out into the universe was very difficult for people to want to love, you know? Um, and so it's a very isolating disease, isn't it? Um, but I definitely believe from my years now of not just um, AA and other fellowships, but my years of trauma therapy and, uh, and all of and family of origin work, I do believe that um, it stems from, for me anyway, it stems from trauma, you know. I was a very traumatized little girl and, uh, and I sought ways to traumatize myself, you know. I was obsessed about war. I was obsessed with the Holocaust. I, I sought out things to frighten myself. And so then I needed to soothe myself. Um, so uh, my, my addiction, and, uh, it, it progressed pretty quickly. Within three years, I had run away from home. I was living in London. I was in a very violent relationship with a man that was, well, I, I, I guess he was a boy, he was 18. Um, but I was having very adult relationships. I had had a, a 
pretty awful time in school and being told by the nuns, God bless those women, but they did a lot of damage. I had been told by them that I was going to be used by men, that that's what I was built for. And so, you know, be careful how you speak to children. It becomes their inner voice. I believed that about myself. And so alcohol and drugs uh, caused me to do things and let things be done to my poor little body that took a lot of healing and um, continue to take a lot of healing. I accepted things for myself because people told me that's all I deserved. And then my behavior, kept reiterating that kept reaffirming it you know i kept doing things when drinking and using and making decisions that i now realize were the decisions of a child desperate for help and nobody knowing how to help her because she didn't know how to articulate it um yeah i i i was doing things that meant um i hated myself more and then i had to drink more to soothe that so it's just this kind of constant cycle of abuse really self-abuse and um and no sense of feeling part of anything uh, in fact feeling so far away from everything that only when i was drinking and using did i feel connected you know and it's interesting that they call that spirits are called spirits you know we're all seeking this spiritual connection when i think of all the times i'd sit in parties and tell everybody all the terrible things that i'd done like basically doing a step five in parties desperate for people first of all to tell them how bad i was so that they could so that i could kind of let them know that they shouldn't bother because i'm a bad girl i had grown up being told that you know that's what i was and so or that i was too much or whatever um but i was desperately seeking a connection too but of course i would then feel such shame when i'd come to the next morning about what i had told people or so alcohol and drugs don't actually connect me to anything. They disconnect me. They connect me for a moment and then that moment is over and I am in the darkness like you wouldn't believe. Like I'm sure we all know what that is, otherwise we wouldn't be here. But, um, but equally, like I said, I'm also very, very grateful to it. You know, I was a, a child living in London. I spent some time on the street, uh, you know, I, and somehow I was sort of protected. It was like I was so wild that, um, like if I imagine seeing a child like that now, I just, it, it's horrifying to me that that's how I lived. But but equally it's it's exactly what has brought me to where I am now. But but the alcohol and drugs meant that I I had an edge to me that I was very aggressive. I was a very violent drunk, mostly towards myself, but I was also very violent in relationships. And I had learned that when things get too much, you can slap someone across the face. That's how that's what I had witnessed and been party to when I was growing up. And so that's what I went into the world with, you know, that if you're, if you can't handle your anger and your aggression, it's okay. You can wallop someone across the face and then you can tell them that you love them later. Um, but of course that's not how the world works. So I had learned a lot of warped things about, um, about how to behave. I was very confused. Um, so my life was a series of, of, um, of violent relationships um of jobs that i couldn't hold down although i was a very hard worker um 
I lived in rat infested squats. And yet I also, what also happened for me during that time, I have to be honest, is when I left my family home, being away, I found people, some people who really believed in me. You know, I lived with a girl who told me I was going to be able to do what I wanted to do with my life. She loved me very, very much, this woman. She thought I was the greatest and I had never experienced that before. Um, I didn't know. It was sort of unconditional. She taught me about unconditional love. I behaved very badly and yet she still was like, you're brilliant, you're brilliant. You're gonna be okay, you're brilliant. And uh, I'm really grateful to her for that because she was kind of the first person who was like that with me, that no matter how badly I behaved, she saw that it was pain, you know, none of this came from me wanting to hurt people. It was because I hated myself and, and thank God it's not like that anymore. And usually when I do a chair, I don't spend this much time talking about what it was like because I, it feels so far away to me now to think, to think that I lived that life. Whenever I, when I sit in this beautiful apartment I'm in, I cannot, I, I almost have to t ask myself, did those things really happen? Like, did I actually live that way? And I did. And so when I got to AA, my step one, there was no doubt that alcohol was a problem for me <laughs> or a solution for me um, because it was so dramatic. Because when I was very young, I had plans to like go to Trinity College in Dublin. I I had these plans that I was going to follow along the path that my brothers and sisters did. So what the fuck happened? Like I couldn't work out what had happened. And then of course I trace it back with the help of professionals and you realize I learned some really dodgy things about myself when I was a little girl, you know? Um, and so of course alcohol and drugs and all those other things became the solution. Of course they did until I could find a spiritual solution, which I have found in AA. And which means I don't have to indulge in those things anymore. Um, but I can, like I keep saying, I can be grateful to them for keeping me alive as long as they did. And I also, and I know this about a lot of people in recovery, I also achieved quite a lot when I was off my head. Like I really did. I, I started a career, a pretty successful career when I was out of my mind. Like it's incredible what we can do even in our using because you would think that the addiction just, I think eventually it does take everything away. But at the beginning, we're so good at control. And I was going to prove to everyone that I was not going to be the girl that they said I was going to be. I was going to prove something. And so I set out doing that and I did it. It's just, it's impossible to sustain the way that I was drinking and using and think that I could have any sort of like without self-care and self-worth, without self-worth, I won't believe myself worthy of having a great life. So I will fuck it up, you know? Um, so I got sober when I was 27, um, which is 13 years ago now. And uh, I, 
it was so not dramatic. I couldn't believe how I got into the rooms. I was kind of embarrassed. Like I had had such drama in my life. I mean, chaos, police chases, fucking getting on buses, smoking crack, burglaring. Like I, I had massive drama. And the thing that brought me into AA was that a guy broke up with me and he would not take me back. And I was furious. And the reason I was furious was because usually if somebody broke up with me, I would then manipulate my way back in, break up with them, and then that way I was always in control. But this beautiful guy had self-esteem and he was like, absolutely not. If he had taken me back, I wouldn't be in recovery. I just wouldn't. I couldn't believe that my little tricks weren't working. He could see them all and it was, so I remember um, he said, when I asked him, like, why? I, I asked, we went and met each other and he said, well, you were really great fun at the beginning, but now you're quite scary. And I was like, how fucking dare you? And so I went and I bought loads of cans of Stella and cocaine and weed. And I went home to my flat at the time and First of all, no, that, that day I had been at work and I had thought, okay, I'm starting to feel a bit better. It's fine. And then that night I went for a drink with my beautiful friend who is dead now from addiction. He died last year. Um, but we went for a drink and then everything changed. And I found myself at my ex-boyfriend's house screaming out his window. And of course I was frightening. Um, but then, so then I went home to my flat where they were, I was living with people and they were having like a little drinks thing and said, did I want to join them? And I was like, no, I fucking went around there and I showed him, I got my dignity back. How dare he talk, talk about me like that? Just, and I went upstairs and I put on some lipstick and a hat and I sat in front of a mirror for the entire night listening to Mary J. Blige talking to myself off my face. And when I woke up, the place was destroyed, the makeup was everywhere. And I thought, what the fuck? Because for me at the end, I wasn't interested in being with all of you. I was interested in being with myself, my own reflection and some like music that made me feel good about myself where I could orchestrate the conversation so that I always wound up feeling good. That's where my alcohol, I, my alcoholism and addiction took me to being on my own. Even though I have been desperate since I was a child to, to be with people. Like when I started taking ecstasy at 13 years of age, which is ridiculous, I couldn't understand why everyone just didn't take ecstasy all the time. Because when all my friends were puking and feeding shit, I was in the corner of a teenage disco in the small town that I was from, talking to a guy who hated himself, telling him how beautiful he was. And I was like, this is the answer. Let's all just take ease. So for me, drinking and using has also always been about wanting to be with people. I love people. I want to connect. Um, but of course, it doesn't do that in the end. I heard a newcomer say a few weeks ago, she said, and it's that rapacious creditor thing line in the big book where, um, she said, all the things that alcohol gave me, like the confidence, the dignity, the sass, all of this stuff, it came to me and said, I want all that shit back. And I want it back with interest. 
And when she said that, I thought, God, I remember that. I remember when it came knocking and it was like, nah, sorry, man. But then I loved alcohol and drugs so much that when I came into AA, I was grief stricken. It took me two years at least before I could start feeling like, okay, I can let her go. Like they were my best, best friends. They were the thing that didn't let me down ever until they let me down. Um, so yes, yeah, so, uh, so that morning when I woke up in the flat on my own, I knew something was wrong and I went downstairs. I was trying to think of what had happened. Like, what was the point in the evening that I had switched? Like, where, how did I get there? Because during the day I had felt okay. So what had happened? And then my flatmate at the time came over to me because my hands were shaking so badly and I was really freaking out. And he came to me with what I thought was a shot of whiskey in a glass. And as it came towards me, it's like I knew that's what happened. When I put that into my body, something changed. So I knocked it out of his hand. It turned out he was trying to give me valerian to calm me down. But to me, it was alcohol. I knew, oh Jesus, if I put that into my body, I don't know what's gonna happen. And so I went to my first AA meeting around that week, I can't really remember, because I think I still tried to take Coke for a few nights. I thought, well, I won't drink, but I'll take cocaine. And then I won't drink, I won't take cocaine, but I'll still smoke weed. It was like a process of about two weeks of realizing, oh, it all has to go, oh shit. Um, and yeah, I went to a meeting and, and I heard my story from a guy who looked nothing like me, who had nothing, like they say, listen for the similarities. And I mean, I, all I saw was differences, but it was still my story. Like everything about him was the opposite of me, but he was just saying my story, but in seven years time. And so at the end of the meeting, when they said, are there any newcomers? My hand went up without me. I didn't do that. <laughs> I really didn't. I couldn't believe I'd put my hand up and there was a woman beside me, I'll never forget her, Lola. And she took my other hand and squeezed my other hand and I was like, oh shit, shouldn't have done that. <laughs> um, and then it was the usual, the first few weeks of going, yeah, I'm not sure about this. And so I remember this is one of my greatest higher power moments. Um, I said to a woman at a meeting, I said, I'm too young. I don't think this is for me. I'm going to come back when I'm 40. And she said, okay, we'll see you when you're 40 then with 13 more years damage. And I thought, how fucking dare you? How I'm going to, I'm going to stay. And if you read that book, it says defiance is the outstanding characteristic of every alcoholic. And see if that woman had told me to stay, I would have walked out the door, but my higher power knew say to her exactly this. And I stayed. And then the first, like I said, the first few years, I've never had a pink cloud. I have never been like, oh my God, it's all just amazing <laughs> ever. I have known that something really profound was happening and I knew it was where I was meant to be, but it was really, really painful because like I said, I love alcohol and drugs. I still have a lot of love for it, for them. I just know that I haven't got another early recovery in me, so I'm not gonna go back out because I couldn't go through early recovery again. Um, but, but it was like grieving the death of a loved one. 
And I only realized, I only learned last year what grieving the death of a loved one really is. So now I know just how like that it was. Like it was a roller coaster. And the only thing that I could do was go to meetings, really. You know, I got my first sponsor because I threw a tantrum in a meeting. I, I, everyone was talking about these fucking steps and having sponsors and everybody seemed again everybody was in a club that I seemed to not be in I was just in the kind of mad angry woman club and or child club is how I felt and this woman came over and said I'll take you through the steps and she did and the first time I went through the steps I went through them to the best of my ability I I dug as deep as I could go at that time I said sorry to everybody I'd my amends I made amends for things that I shouldn't like I I said sorry to my parents that it was so difficult, that I was such a difficult child. What a terrible way to abandon myself, you know? I thought that that was what I was supposed to do. I had caused pain for my parents. I only It's only years later that I realized I was in pain, which is why that happened. And, um, and I wasn't really looked after, not, uh, not the way I needed to be, I guess. But I, I think everybody did the best they could with what was available to them. But fucking hell, I really did feel like I sli slipped through the net. Um, so yeah, the first time around, I did what I could. And so anyone who is kind of there now at the beginning, just do what you're doing. Like, I remember using recovery. I have gone through all sorts of different phases with it. You know, my perfectionism will kill me. There was a time when, you know, I couldn't wait to get to step four and five so I could learn how defective I am. You know, I'm a bad girl. That has been kind of in my bones for so long that I'm a wrong one. I used step four and five the first time around to really hurt myself. And uh, so I don't use the word def defects anymore. I, I, I say defenses of character, defaults of character. There are ways in which I behaved that were necessary for me to behave so that I could stay alive as a child. Because when I look back at my drinking, the very worst parts of my drinking and using were happening when I was a child into a teenager into late teens you know so I've got a I had to learn how to have a lot of compassion for that little girl and to understand that I did what I did to stay alive and and the pain that I caused to people absolutely I have um I have made reparation for that but I no longer um hurt myself the way that I did. I was drenched in shame when I came to AA and continued to be drenched in shame for quite a few years in AA. And, and then for me, it was important to get outside help and to avail of all the other things that we are, that are on offer um, as we stay sober so that I could start to really heal that part of myself that hated myself. Because, you know, getting clean and sober is one thing to be chemically clean and sober, you know, that can be great for a while. The high of that is enough for a while, but now I want emotional sobriety. And to me, emotional sobriety is a sense of self that means that I care about myself. I no longer believe when people, I mean, people don't say it anymore, but when people used to say to me how bad I was, I just believed them. I never stood up for 
I didn't know how to articulate myself without getting angry and blaming. I couldn't ever see that, my God, there were things that happened um, and ways in which I was treated that weren't okay. They just weren't. And no amount of making amends and saying sorry to other people is going to heal that. I have to make amends to myself for that, for and let myself know that I won't let things like that happen anymore. I mean, the, the self-abandonment was so profound with me, with my life, that it's still in recovery now, especially around relationships. I have to be very careful about what I learned about love being a transactional thing and having to be behave a certain way in order to get a certain kind of love. You know, I, I realize now that I have to unconditionally be there for myself. And that doesn't mean letting myself behave whatever fucking way I want and, and, uh, and screw everybody else. It means having an awareness of the things that um, hurt me. And a lot of the time, the things that hurt me now are when I go into my defaults of character. So when I am deep in fear and, and operating from a place of fear, that doesn't work for me anymore. You know, when I'm in jealousy or envy or I'm in my self-seeking or all of those things that we learn about in our step five, um, it hurts now. You know, relationships that are abusive hurt now. You know, they didn't hurt before because I was numb, but now I'm really awake to how I want to be treated. And it has to start with me. Like we're, um, I've been reading a lot about this kind of notion of, um, of a higher power. And somebody was asking me, you know, but how do you know that there is a higher power? And I, I just know that for me, when my, as I have built my self-worth, as I have gotten really into the work that it takes to like, so resting when I need to rest, speaking kindly to myself. And that is a constant commitment because my default voice is a really hard, usually a Catholic kind of, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, that kind of Jesus, those kind of hard, hard voices. Those are my, those are my default voices. And I call it the, um, I've long had this kind of experiment that I worked on with myself on that I've always had a prosecution lawyer inside me. This prosecution lawyer who's so fucking good at her job and her job is to destroy me. It is to give uh, the case for why I should just bail out on myself because I'm not worth it. And I have allowed her, I hired her. <laughs> I allowed her to run the show for a really long time. And then over the last few years, I have been encouraged to look over to the other side and see that there's also a defense lawyer and she's just as good. And I also hired her, but I never let her speak. So she's waiting to let me let her speak. And she's got the same amount of passion for me, and, but, but in, a, in a loving way way so now when the prosecution lawyer goes off i say right jesus you're so fucking good at it man because she's so smart like she's amazing at her job um but now i say okay thank you so much and then i let the defense and she gets up and she's all kinds of fabulous and she thinks i'm all kinds of fabulous and then i get to make a decision about whether i 
bail on myself or whether I continue to show up for myself. And there are some times when it's really hard to hear the defense lawyer, like she's tired. <laughs> so hungry, angry, lonely, tired. 13 years into recovery, that is the most important thing now for me. Am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? And if I'm any of those things, I have to stop and take care because like I said, now that I have a bit of time, it's really painful when I go to town on myself in a negative way. It's really, really painful because I'm so awake now. I don't use anything. I don't even smoke anymore, for God's sake. Like, there is nothing to take the edge off. Like, I am right on the edge sometimes. And, and what I'm learning to do is when I want to jump off into the abyss, I'm learning to say, come back, darling, you're doing really, really well. Maybe you just need to have a sandwich <laughs> or have a little lie down. Um, but I never learned about um, love like that, like accepting myself, even when I'm making mistakes, even when I'm fucking things up or apparently fucking things up. I never learned that I could love myself anyway. You know, I thought that's when you deserved to be treated badly, you know? Well, you've done this and you should feel shit. But there's a big difference between guilt and shame, isn't there? Like guilt is there to signal to me when I have done something wrong and I need to make reparation for that. And I'm grateful when I get shown where I need to make reparation. But I used to be making reparation to everybody all the time, never once questioning, was there any point when I was actually let down and when and how I managed to stay alive? I mean, I am miraculous. When I think of the life that I lived, what I have come from and what I managed to do, and I did it pretty much on my own until I started getting a bit successful, you know, the love that I got was conditional all the time. And, and I understand that. I understand that everyone was doing the best they could, but, but I don't know. I feel like it's really important for me to see that where I did good, it can be just so easy for me to, to, to think that I was always bad. And, I think it's a really dangerous way to think in sobriety, you know, because I want this, I mean, only an alcoholic would want a life beyond their wildest dreams. You know, the wildest dreams aren't quite enough. We have to like go three fields beyond it. But, but if I, if I want what I now believe my higher power wants for me, then I have to believe I'm worthy of it. And the only way that I'm gonna be able to believe that is if I talk to myself like that, you know, there is enough in this world that's gonna tell me, like we live in a world where we're told nothing is ever enough. Um, we're all supposed to be comparing ourselves to each other. You know, all of that stuff all the time, like there's enough without me adding to that chorus. Like I have got to be on my own side. Otherwise I'll be clean and sober, but I'll be unhappy. And I'm not saying that happiness is the goal. It's not. Peace for me is the goal. It always has been. I just want peace. I want to live in peace. I want to be at peace with who I am as a woman. But unhappiness, I don't want that either. Like I don't want to be in recovery miserable like 
somebody, to, uh, I, everything in here is secondhand. It's so brilliant the way all this information gets passed between us all the time. And I never know who started anything. I think I did start the prosecution lawyer thing though. So if you are going to tell anybody that you can attribute it to me. <laughs> um, no, but I, uh, the God didn't save me from the sinking ship to kick the shit out of me on the shore. Like enough, enough with the bashing. Like I have to, the work that I had to do about where I come from before the drinking started, you know, I come from a culture where the child is always blamed where the difficult, you know, children should be seen and not heard, <laughs> the difficult children, all of that. I come from that. So of course I am going to still have that when the drink and drugs are taken away. I'm going to revert back to the thinking that I was given when I was a little girl. And unless I take that stuff out and look at what serves me and what doesn't and what I can let go of and what I would like to hang on to, there are certain things that are quite good. I think being of service is a big thing in the Catholic religion. So I can take what I like and leave the rest. And the things that I'm leaving are the things that told me that I should suffer for, for stuff that I did when I was just trying to stay alive. Um, so, so for me now in my recovery, um, the work is about self-care, self-love and self-compassion and self-acceptance. If I don't have those things, if I don't believe myself worthy of that life beyond my wildest dreams, then my higher power can't give it to me. My higher power is literally like, I've got it all for you, lady. Every single thing, I've got it all. Maybe not in the shape that you want it to come in, but what I have for you is even better than what you can imagine. Like I could not have dreamt up for myself the life that I now have. I couldn't have because I can't dream that big for myself because I believe a higher power is just pure love, pure like joy. That's what it wants for me. And sometimes the joy comes as the result of a pretty like learning a pretty hard lesson like one of my sponsors used to say to me that your life is like a collage and you but you're standing really close to it like really close up and sometimes the pieces are really jagged and horrible and you think they're really ugly but then when you pull out and you see how that piece fits into this incredible collage of your life she said to me, you, you would be so overwhelmed, you wouldn't survive seeing the big picture. You can only see these little pieces. And there are times like the past few weeks, there was some fucking jagged pieces in there, man. That was really scary for a bit. But not at any point, not at any point did I think of drinking and using. And not only that, not at any point did I, like I, it's been, I was thinking, so what's the lesson? Why did I have to take that detour down shit alley like what was that about and I realized that I'm really good at helping people in my life and like if anybody needs money if anybody I'm really good at being the one to kind of help and this time I had to let people help me I had a friend who put so much money into my bank account so that I could get out of that situation that would be, I would not have been able to receive that before. I would have thought he expected me to have sex with him, frankly. I had very warped ideas of accepting love from anybody because I thought it meant that I was then supposed to do something. It's all transactional. I learned over the past months, certainly, 
how loved I am by some really, really beautiful people. And I didn't used to attract very beautiful people. There were some, but we were all a bit broken, you know, but I used to also attract some really dangerous individuals, you know, because I wanted them to reaffirm how shit I felt about myself. But as my esteem grows, I look around my life and I think, oh my God, I've got really good people in my life, like really sweet people. And also the place that I was living in, there was a couple living upstairs and the, wa the woman was really depressed. She didn't like living there. And as a result of me going into that flat and deciding it wasn't acceptable, they've also now decided to move out of that place. So maybe I was part of their story. You know, maybe sometimes it's not, I'm not in situations just for myself. I'm there to help or to be a kind of a catalyst for change in other people's lives. You just never know, do you? But what I do know is I showed up for that experience. I stood in it. I allowed people to help. And there was um, uh, a couple of members of my family that were really great too, which was really lovely to allow that in my life. And um, I felt like I stood in the middle of the storm and I talked gently to myself and I brought it to the rooms. I have incredible women, especially in these rooms, some of whom are here. Like I have never been more held in the time of the pandemic and the lockdown. I have never felt more connected to recovery. I have never felt further from a drink or a drug. Um, I felt so, I felt like recovery got to really show off during the pandemic, you know, because we did it. Like we just pivoted and we adapted and now, and we set up these things like this amazing woman who set up our, um, Tina, who I think is here. She set up this women's meeting immediately, immediately it was set up and it has been a lifesaver for so many of us. And I, I spoke to a man recently who owns an off license near where I used to live. And I said, how's it been going for you in the pandemic? And he said, every day is busier than New Year's Eve. So he's having a great time. But I thought, thank God, just thank God for being sober. Can you imagine going through all of this drinking and using and disconnected? And I mean, I have, it has been, it's been a period of such incredible growth for me and for so many. I have two beautiful sponsees who I've just witnessed like making leaps and bounds in this time. And I feel, I feel so much more committed to my recovery. I think just before the pandemic, I was being a little kind of, you know, not going to as many meetings, you know what it's like. You go through phases, don't you, of ebbing and flowing. But, but for me, the pandemic, the apocalypse, the, the ancient Greek meaning for the word apocalypse is the revealing. And I felt that what was revealed to me through this apocalyptic time was just how fortunate I am that 13 years ago, I fell in the rooms or scrambled, scratched, kicked, screamed into the rooms of AA. And I got this life. Like, it's not just getting sober, is it? If I choose to do all the other work, you know, get clean and sober first, like tip of the iceberg, and then start diving underneath. And that's where all those pearls are. And there's so many of us down there willing to share oxygen just when you think, fuck, I can't handle it anymore. I've got to go up. Like, 
don't go up, you'll get the bends. Somebody said to me, we were kind of expanding on the analogy and it's like, just as you're about to get the pearl and you think, no, I can't do it. And you think I'll shoot up to the top and get some oxygen, but just don't. Just stay down there, give someone a wave and we'll swim over. And there's oxygen, don't get the bends, man. Don't leave before the miracle happens because I cannot even, like even when times are tough and I'm not somebody who says I never had a bad day in recovery. I don't trust people who say that frankly. So if any of you are here, forgive me, but I need the people who have had bad days in recovery. I need to know when I lost my best friend last year, I had had to walk away from him because I knew our friendship was not able to withstand his using because he wasn't being honest about his using. I didn't know how much he was, um, he was using and he died, you know, and I, I can't believe that he's never going to come to me and say that he's going to get sober, but he wasn't meant to, you know, he wasn't meant to, he was here. He was part of my story. Like he taught me so much, as much as he was an addict, he also taught me how to decorate a flat, how to make a bed. He took me when I was a broken little child who hated herself and he cut my hair and he told me I was beautiful. So even in our addiction, we can find beautiful things, but I know for sure for me that this life it couldn't have happened without AA and it can't continue to happen without AA. And even when there are times when I'm hormonal and I don't want to sit and look at all your faces, <laughs> that's all right too. I just don't believe anymore in judging myself for having, for, for not getting it right. Cause who's deciding what's right anyway. Um, I am so grateful. I'm so grateful. I didn't expect to talk about my friend, but when I, when I think about him now, I know that he's happier, he's more at peace. And I think it's listening to myself wonder like why certain things happen. And I realized like he came into my life. He sort of, he was the first person in my life to, apart from the woman, Michelle, he just told me how amazing I was. And we need to tell ourselves that because I think the behavior that comes with drinking and using can be so bad. There's no doubt. Like we can cause a lot of chaos and a lot of pain, but no, nobody gets more of that pain than we do. And I know that that can be, um, you know, again, I come from that culture of, you know, you should feel bad. And I did feel bad for a long time, but also addicts and alcoholics, we make ourselves feel so bad that we think we're not worth, it's not worth living. And I don't want anyone to do that because we deserve more. I just, I no longer think it was all my fault. And that's major, you know, every single alcoholic addict and I've met thousands now, we all have something in our childhoods or further back that just gave us a little edge towards needing a solution like alcohol and drugs. And if you can find that thing and heal that, then I won't ever need to use drink and drugs again because I'm not gonna abandon myself anymore. Um, I think I've spoken for 
how long have I spoken for? I mean, I just keep speaking. This is the thing. Um, I think I've spoken for So I'm going to leave it there. But I just, I think alcoholics and addicts are some of the greatest people I know. The resilience, the things that we see, the things that were done before, the things, the things that were done before that caused us to need the alcohol and drugs. Those are the things I'm interested in too. I want to hear what, what did you need to soothe? Like, what was it? And then, and then I can figure out how to let that little girl know she's safe now. She's okay. But yeah, we're miracles. And, um, that's how I see myself today. I think my life is a fucking miracle and I'm not sorry for swearing. <laughs> um, dress becomingly, talk low. Don't dress becomingly and talk loud. <laughs> anyway, I'm just going on now. I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you so much. I see so many beautiful faces that I know and those that I don't and I'm just this is the greatest tribe of people. I never want to be in a gang because the gang disperses at the first sign of trouble. Like gangs just never stick by each other, but tribes, this is a tribe like I have never, like an army of light. It's just so beautiful. And it's all I ever wanted. When I was drinking and using, this is what I was looking for. And who would have thought I had to go through all of that and then I get to find you all here. Um, I'm just so, so, so grateful to be here. Thank you all so much. Wow. Wow, 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 Denise. Thank you, Denise. Thank you. It's the first time I, I think I've ever heard you. Um, and what a miracle you are. What a miracle we all are. You know, I was with you every step of the way i felt it because i've been there and we can all say we've been there you know um how it works that's that's what you are and it's and it's and it's beautiful and it gives inspiration it, it's it's okay it gives permission i always look for permission you know is 